Back in 1994, my family moved to Oakland, Illinois. We eventually bought a house there. When we moved to Oakland initially, we, we lived in a duplex apartment. We just needed some place to live. And when we moved there, we had several people ask us, well, what part of town did you move to? Where exactly are you living? And we would give them our address, and the reaction was always, oh, you're going to be Francis's neighbor. <laughs> Francis was the old guy that lived across the street from me. And honestly, when I moved to that location, I thought that old house across the street was abandoned. It was falling down. It was, there was junk piled everywhere, but no, that's where Francis lived. Francis was my neighbor, and very often I would see him riding his old rusty bicycle around, always wearing his, his signature pair of very, very dirty and old coveralls. Francis, Francis was different. He was a, a very simple man. Francis was not quite stable. Occasionally, Francis caused a little trouble in the community. But, you know, if I needed a tool for a job, uh, I would mention it to Francis and he'd say, hold on. And he would disappear into that pile of junk around his house. And within a few minutes, he would emerge with the exact tool that I needed. If I was out working in the yard, Francis would stop by and we'd visit and he would tell stories. I, I got to help Francis out a few times even. He helped me. I helped him. We, we got along great. No matter what else Francis was... He was my neighbor, and maybe, maybe you've got a Francis in your life. Maybe you're somebody else's Francis. We've been looking at the letter of James in the back of our Bibles. James calls us to look very closely at ourselves and ask questions about what it is that motivates us, what it is that drives us. And he's asking what depth there is. What is there below the surface? What depth of character? What depth of commitment is there to our faith? And so we've asked that question. What's below the surface? Is there anything deep that anchors us to our faith? Last week we wrapped up chapter 1 and it was there in chapter 1 verse 22 where James calls us to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. It's not just about reading these words, hearing these words, but the question is, what are we doing with them? Are we planting them deep, and are we putting these words into practice? And in that respect, the letter from James is a very practical letter. It calls us to see what our faith looks like when it's lived out. What should I see above the surface that tells me that there's something of depth, something solid below the surface? And as we begin chapter 2, James is pointing us to some of our closest relationships. The relationships we have with those with whom we attend church, those that we go to church with, and the relationships we have with our neighbors. We begin in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and you say, Well, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
James offers an illustration that <laughs> from the life of the church as he knew it, an illustration that could be a part of our churches today. Two visitors come into the church. One is a man dressed in fine clothes. He's wearing a gold ring. Interestingly enough, the way James words it, it isn't just that he has a gold ring. James says he has a gold finger. And it's, it's a funny image. And it's an image that shows that not only is this man wealth, but that wealth has become a part of who he is. His opulence is, is who he is. And he comes in and he's He's showing off his wealth, and we see that person, and we immediately think, oh, that person could fund our youth department. That person could pay to have our parking lot paved. I hope that person tithes. Give them, give them the best seat in the house. And then right behind him walks in someone who is dressed in rags, someone who is destitute, someone who obviously has nothing. And the question is, which one... Which one gets your attention? Which one do you greet? To whom do you give the best seat in the house? Are we partial to the people that God is partial to? Are we partial to the people God is partial to? Are we impressed with gold fingers? <laughs> the call is for us to be honest with ourselves. We tend to make distinctions between people. We treat people differently based on who they are and, and what we see, what they have, and maybe what they can do for us. But what James is calling us to see is that's not how God treats people. That's not how God treated us. God saw our need. He saw that we were destitute in our sin, and God gave us his very best the Lord of glory. You know, I remember several years ago, not, not that many years ago, we had a family visit us here in the church, a family in our community. They, they only lived here a very, very short time. But the first time they came, the father had come with the children. He brought the children in. And, and I have to say, the father was, was dressed very shabbily, very filthy. His clothes were dirty. His, his face was dirty. His, his fingers were not golden. His fingers were dirty. And his kids, well, his kids were dirty. They came back, came back a second time. And both times, no one asked them to, but he chose to sit all the way in the back of the auditorium, all the way in the back, of, away from everyone else and, and up against the wall. The second time they came, after church, I had someone come up and ask me, what do you think they want? Are they here for some money? Are they looking for a handout? I think they wanted a church. I think they wanted a place where they could worship, where they could fit in. I think, I think they wanted neighbors. I think that's what they were looking for. And I've always wondered, did we miss out on an opportunity for someone who was only here a very short time, but did we still miss out on an opportunity not just to help, but to just be there? to simply be their neighbors? Are we partial to the people God is partial to? There are always going to be people who catch our eyes. There's always going to be things that, that we notice. But the question is, is it the finery? Is it the rich who catch our eyes? Or do we notice the people that God notices? Are we willing to help them? Are we willing to bless them? But, but first of all, Will we just be their neighbors? Will we be the neighbors that, that they need us to be? 
What James is giving us isn't just a call to how we ought to treat others, but it's a reminder for you and me that God didn't play favorites with us. God didn't look at us and, and play favorites. You know, when, when I moved to Oakland, I was just looking for a place to live. I just needed a house. I didn't survey the neighborhood. I didn't look at Francis's house that was falling down with all the junk there. And, and I didn't ask the question, what's that going to do to my property values? What's that going to do to the neighborhood? Uh, do I really want to have to look at that every day? But you know, neither did I look at Francis's house and think, this is where God needs me. This is the kind of neighbor that I need to, to love God. This is exactly why God wants me here. But the fact is, Jesus not only moved into our neighborhood, he not only stepped into this world to, to identify with us, he stepped in to identify with the poor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says of Jesus' humanity, he emptied himself. He identified with the lowest of the low so that we could know God, so that we could know his love. He didn't look for the best. He looked for us. And you hear that as James goes on in this passage in verse 5. He says, listen. Actually, it's a little more forceful than just listen. It's more like, listen up. This is important. Listen up. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The message is simply for us to realize that the things that impress us they don't impress God. God's not looking for finery and gold fingers. He's got his eyes on the dirty, on the shabby, those in need. That's where his heart is. And the problem with you and me is that very often we are, we are very impressed with the, with the very same people whose actions, whose attitudes, whose policies are there to oppress the people that have God's heart. James goes on in verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You know, something struck me this week here at Kansas Christian Church. I got a phone call from someone early in the week who needed a little help. We do that every now and then. They needed some help with their power bill. But when they called in, even though I knew this person, even though this person knew that I'm the preacher, the pastor here at the church, when they called in, they said, is Diana there? Now, Diana Eckerd was our church secretary for many years. She's just recently retired. Diana's probably watching today with her husband, Jim. Hello, Diana. Hope you guys are doing well. But he asked for Diana because he knew that Diana was the one who helped. He knew that she was the one to talk to. That, that wasn't who I was to him. And the reality hit me as I talked to this person Diana, you became the face of generosity for Kansas Christian Church. As far as our community is concerned, as far as the people in need around us have been concerned, Diana has been the face of generosity, the, the face of that kind of love here at Kansas Christian Church. And that wasn't just Diana's job. That's Diana's heart. That's her heart to this day. She has a passion to help others. But it hit me as I talked to this man. Who's going to be that face of generosity 
now? Who's going to be the one that, that points them to the love that we have for our neighbors? God didn't play favorites with you and me. He didn't see our wealth. He didn't see our potential. He, he saw our need. And there are people around us with great needs. Do we see them? Do we hear them? Are we willing to be there for them, for their shabby clothes, for their dirty fingers, for their dirty children? Are we going to care for them? Because we realize that's exactly what God did for us. When Jesus moved into our neighborhood, when he came to earth, he moved in to care for the least of us. What you and I need to commit to is just a very simple principle for wherever we live, what God, where, for where God has placed us. And the very simple principle is this. Don't see your neighbor without seeing their need. You hear that? Don't see your neighbor without also seeing their need. It sounds like, like James is setting us up for something big here. It sounds like he's setting up, us up for something huge that you and I are going to have to do. When we get to verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, and we stop and go, whoa, whoa, this sounds important. The royal law, this sounds like it's going to be huge. I'd better pay attention. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. What's the royal law? It's simply this. Love your neighbors. That's, that's it. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not overthink it. Let's not make it more difficult than we have to. We just simply have to ask, who is my neighbor? Who is the one who is my neighbor? And realize that when we are here for the least of these, those who are hurting, those who are shabby, those who may have the dirty fingers, we're here to, to love God. We are fulfilling the royal law. I love the way James puts it. Look at it again. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. I like that. You're doing well. That'll do. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But Lord, there's such a mess. Our world is in such a mess right now. What can I do? You can love your neighbor. If you do that, you're, you're doing well. Yeah, but, but I know, but, but there's so much turmoil and conflict all around us. What can I do about that? You can love your neighbor. But look at the mess in Washington these last two weeks. Look at what's happening in our nation. I am overwhelmed. How can I make a difference? You can love your neighbor. You know, if we're not starting there, then nothing else we do is going to matter. Nothing else we do is going to fix anything. This is the royal law or the kingdom law. Why is it the royal law? Because it's the law that builds the kingdom of God. It's the law that builds community. It's the law that builds family. I've shared the last couple of weeks, one of my big concerns for the church in America today is our lack of seriousness when it comes to our commitment. And, and one of the ways we've seen that, and I've shared this the last couple of weeks, is that in America today, regular church attendance, to be a regular church attender, 
is now considered showing up, showing up once a month. One out of three or four Sundays, a person thinks of themselves as a regular church attender. Now, that's not just frustrating for me because you're missing out on a lot of sermons. <laughs> it's not just, the, not just frustrating because you're missing out on a lot of great sermons. It's frustrating because you're missing out on community. You're missing out on the people who need you the most. You're missing out on the people who need you to be their neighbors, who need you to be there for them. Yes, yes, you're missing out on an impact that, that, that impacts our world, but, but it also impacts our neighbors, the people around us, the, God, the people God has placed us here for. If you love your neighbor, you're doing well. That's what James tells us. That's enough. That gets the job done. Now, now James does go on and he says, continuing on in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails on one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. And then he simplifies it all. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And he closes simply with this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's that simple. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James started out with judgment from us. Uh, we, we judge the rich person. We judge the poor person. We, uh, we judge to see which one is more blessed and which one might bless us more. The one dressed in finery with the gold finger or the one that's dressed in shabby clothes and covered with dirt. The call isn't to judge which one is more blessed. The call is for us to ask, to whom do I need to show mercy? Who is in need of mercy? How can I love my neighbor? You know, my old neighbor, Francis, passed away about, about 11 years ago, I think. Well, 10 or 11 years ago. And in Francis's funeral plan, he, he had specified that there was to be no service at all, just, simple, just a simple burial. I happened to be pretty good friends with the funeral director. I happened to know him pretty well. And I said, come on, we, we, can't have, we can't just have no service at all for Francis. Can't we do a graveside? And he finally said, well, okay, we can do a graveside. We got to the graveside service that afternoon, and Francis's bicycle was there, an old rusty bicycle. Someone had put some flowers in the back of it. They had filled the basket in the front with, with Diet Coke because that was Francis's favorite drink. He wanted Diet Cokes. <sighs> and Francis's neighbors showed up. His neighbors were there. His friends were there. His caregivers were there because in the last several years of his life, Francis needed caregivers. And there were four preachers that showed up to that little graveside service. Four of us. And I got to read from Matthew 25. As you did it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. Because every one of us there realized that Francis helped us love Jesus better. Don't see your neighbor without seeing their need. And maybe don't see your neighbor without seeing your need to love your neighbor. Your need to love God best by loving your neighbor well. 
Because if you love your neighbor, you are doing well. There's a lot going on in our world right now that concerns us. There's a lot going on that frightens us. There's a lot that we can't figure out, and there's a lot that we can't fix. What can we do? We can love our neighbors. James says if we do that, we're doing well. I read a wonderful book some time ago. It's called The, the Neighboring Church. It's a wonderful little book, and what I love about it is it's so practical. And in the back of the book, there's, there are tips on how to love your neighbor in very practical and very easy ways. Just one little sentence here and there that tell us how to love our neighbor. And I want to encourage you with a few of them this week as you start this week. The first one is simply this. Learn one name. Learn one name of one neighbor. Maybe you already know all of your neighbor's names. You're ahead of the game already. Learn one name and then pray one prayer for your neighbor. And when the opportunity comes, act in kindness, act as a neighbor, just, just one time. You know, maybe what you're going to find out is that your prayer for your neighbor, you are the answer to the, your prayer for your neighbor. And you may even find out that you are the answer to your neighbor's prayers. Try and see your neighbor as Jesus sees them. Try to see your neighbor as Jesus sees them. When you do, will you see them differently? And then one other just very practical thing. Think about how others have loved you. Think about what others have done and the way that others have loved you. Find a way to do that for your neighbor. James, James calls us to go deep, but he never calls us to do the impossible. He calls us to do simple things and to do them well, to love our neighbors. It's a reminder to me and to you that when God saw us, when he saw our need, his mercy triumphed over his judgment. Let his mercy triumph for your neighbor. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus came into our neighborhood, that he dwelled among us, that he pitched his tent among us. He, he moved in. There's a blessing in knowing that he's come near to us. The blessing for your neighbor is knowing that through the way you love them, through the way that you care for them, they're experiencing the closeness of Christ. As we take communion today, let's not just take for ourselves. Let's take for those that God has placed around us, that God has placed us in their midst, to show them his mercy, to show them his love, to love our neighbors. And if we do that, we're doing well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the challenges in a letter like James, but I also thank you just for the simple message in James. If you love your neighbor, you are doing well. Lord, this week, let our faith do well. Let our faith do well for those around us. And as we take today, we recognize the presence of Jesus. We recognize that he meets us here at the table through the bread, through the cup. Lord, let us recognize also that our neighbors meet Jesus through our love, through our mercy, through the way we care for them. Let's bless them with his presence this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go love your neighbor. God bless. Have a great week.